found a podcast where you'll hear the truth and we will praise jesus name we stand for the bible and won't back down from it although it don't bring much fame some folks will like it some will try to deny it but god's word will always stand true it's been tried in the fire still good hello friends Welcome to the Pod King Podcast. I'm your co-host, Donald King. Glad to have Brother Chris Lee with us today. Thanks for having me. Glad to have Brother Donnie here today also. It's a pleasure as always. On this podcast, we study the Bible according to how it was written in the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, and how it was translated into English in the King James Version. This is Friday, April the 1st, Systematic Theology Number 9, Soteriology Special edition number 23. In our last study, we began our study in the book of Jonah. We looked at some of the background, history, and cultural perceptions of Jonah. We also looked at several of the elements involved with this short but powerful book. We tackled some of the tough issues within the first chapter. We asked the question, do you believe Jonah was a good man or a bad man? We feel that Jonah might have been similar to a lot of us. In today's episode, Brother Donnie and Brother Chris opened a discussion concerning soteriology. This is a big word for the doctrine of salvation. They talk about several aspects of how God brings and offers salvation to mankind who is so lost in his sin. These brothers talk about condemnation, conviction, repentance, and redemption, among other things. We believe that you will not want to miss this study for several very important elements will be gone over in this episode. Now for the teaching of God's Word and the lesson for today. I'll turn it to the host of the Pod King Podcast, our pastor, Brother Donnie King. Well, I'm certainly thankful to be coming to you today, and I'm glad that you're listening in with us today. I'm looking forward to this study. It's a very important study that's very vital to our day and hour that we live in because it deals with man. It deals with the relationship between man and God. And I believe that God has always revealed himself unto man, and he's done it in various ways, but he always does this through what I believe is called progressive revelation. I believe that progressive revelation leads us unto soteriology. Progressive revelation, I guess I need to define the term. It's how God reveals himself to mankind. God reveals more of himself to man as life progresses. You know more about God today than you did last year. This is even seen in scripture. Adam knew God, but Noah knew a little bit more of God than Adam did. Abraham learned things about God that Noah never knew. Moses had a much greater knowledge of God than either of those before him. Man as an individual learns more about God as he goes through life as well. You may have been taught about God as a child. But as a teenager, your knowledge of God probably had already begun to change and take a different form. As man ages, God has revealed himself to man at different times and through multiple stages. As an aged man, your knowledge of God should be much greater than it was as a child. This is the whole plan of God. He wants you to know more about him. And in knowing more about him, you will bring your life under subjection to his will and you'll begin to serve him. God uses this method of enlightenment to open man's heart unto the reception of salvation. I believe that God created mankind for several reasons, and one of those reasons is that we might be saved and enter a relationship with God. I'm going to allow Brother Chris Lee to define the term soteriology. 
Soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. Several lessons back, we studied the topic of Christology, which covers the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Christ Jesus. Soteriology covers what Christ's death, life, resurrection accomplished for fallen humanity. It takes in topics such as faith, repentance, justification, regeneration, adoption. All of these are explained through the doctrine of soteriology. Soteriology explains how man is saved, and it also explains why man is saved. It explains who is involved in the salvation of man. Now, before you get to thinking that an odd statement, all three members of the Godhead are very much involved with the salvation of man. The Father desires worship and communion from man, and this is one of the reasons he created man. He desired worship. He could have took just the worship of angels, but he wanted something more. He wanted a creation that willingly worshiped him. To worship God, we look at this and we wonder, what are the requirements to worship God? What would God desire for man to be or for man to do? Well, soteriology is that which makes man able to worship God. So the Father created man. The Son of God gave his life for this to be accomplished that we might be saved. And the Spirit is who draws man through conviction to bring all of this about. So one of the things that must happen before man can be saved is he must recognize his sin, and he must also recognize his sinfulness. He must recognize that he's powerless to help himself. Before man can be saved, he must feel condemnation over his sin and over his predicament. So concerning the topic of condemnation, in the book of Romans chapter 5, now this is a a very important chapter, Romans 5, and it will appear several times throughout the study of soteriology. Romans 5 and verse 18 says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Condemnation is an adverse sentence or verdict to judge, to sentence, or to damn. Adam's sin brought condemnation and death to the human race, but not just to the human race, but rather to the creation. Adam set in motion spiritual and physical death when he disobeyed the commandments of God. Not only did sin affect humanity, but it had an effect upon the universe as well. We read in Revelation chapter 21, the Bible talks about how the first earth shall pass away. God is going to do away with the old creation, for it has been tainted by sin, therefore condemnation is working within it. Romans chapter 3 And verse 9, we see more scriptures concerning condemnation. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. And then the Bible says, no, not one. This is the whole human race placed under condemnation because of the sin that they have been affected by. Verse 19 of Romans chapter 3 says, Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped 
and all the world may become guilty before God. The law, it worked a, a perfect work in men's lives, and that was to prove them all guilty before God. All mankind is under condemnation. Verse 23 said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In chapter 6 and verse 23, the Bible said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So condemnation is universal. It has touched all of mankind. Before man can be saved, he must feel that condemnation over his sin. He must realize that he can't help himself, and that puts his conscience under condemnation because of his sins. Now, remember in some of our previous studies here in systematic theology, we talked about the conscience much. God placed within every man the conscience that he knows when he's doing right and he knows when he's doing wrong. Therefore, man who is lost in his sin feels the weight of sin through his conscience that brings condemnation upon his life. He feels the guilt. He feels the shame of sin. He bears the responsibility for his sin, and his conscience reminds him you're guilty before God. He recognizes that he cannot change without God in his life. He is under condemnation mainly because God will require of him all of these things at the judgment. Man is a steward under the hand of God. We will be judged by what we know. We will be judged by what we have been given. We will be judged by what we did with that knowledge and how we handled those things. The next step that condemnation leads us to in the saving process of man is conviction. Man is convicted of sin by the Spirit of God. When the Spirit begins to deal with man, several things begin to happen. Yes, in St. John chapter 8 and verse 9, the Bible speaks as those men who had brought the woman taken adultery stood before Christ, and Christ began to expose their own sinfulness. The Bible said they were convicted by their own conscience. In Psalms chapter 31 and verse 10, David said, For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity and my bones are consumed. If you're ever trying to find verses that illustrate or define how conviction feels to the heart that is under condemnation from God, there's a good one right there. David said in, in chapter 38 of the book of Psalms, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure, for thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. All of us can relate to this, sitting and, and hearing gospel preaching and feeling the condemnation from sin in our life and the arrows of God as they are being shot forth from the mouth of the minister by the word of God lodge fast in the heart of the man that is under condemnation. And it's as the very arrows of God stick fast in his heart. David, in his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51 and verse 3, he said, my sin is ever before me. This is part of what, what conviction is. That sin is brought up. It's held before our eyes. It's ever before us. Jeremiah laments in Lamentation 1 and verse 20. He said, I am in distress. My heart is turned within me, for I have grievously rebelled. This is conviction working in the hearts of men and women. Acts 2 and verse 37. Now, when they heard this, when they heard the preaching of the apostle Peter, 
The Bible said they were pricked in their heart. The, the Spirit of God had opened a wound in their conscience and in their heart that the Word of God may be planted. Now, conviction is a must. No one can be saved unless there is conviction, but conviction is not the same thing as conversion. They were pricked in their heart. David felt the, the grief of his sin, but until there is repentance and an acknowledging of that sin and turning to God, then conviction only stands to bring more condemnation upon us. The Spirit enlightens man to understand that he is a sinner. He illuminates the mind of man through pricking his conscience that God gave him. He begins to cause his guilt, his shame, and his condemnation to burden him more than ever before. Man must be pushed to the place where he'll make a voluntary decision to repent of his sins. Man must decide to serve God or to reject God and continue in his sin. Conviction comes and conviction goes. It does not last forever. We should always be convicted of our sins when we commit them. But the true conviction that leads to a sorrowful heart and a repentance, it is only one of those things that comes at times and deals with man. During this time of the Spirit's dealing with the heart, man must take opportunity of this offer of salvation that God has specially crafted for each man. That which convicts your heart may not convict mine. That which draws you to an altar may not have been what drew me but the point is, is God will draw all men by his spirit. One of the greatest fallacies that I feel like has taken hold in the modern church world today is when men try to steal the glory from God and take credit for their own salvation. Conviction is a work of the Spirit of God, and man cannot be saved without this work in their life. St. John chapter 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come unto the Father except he be drawn. No man. No man can get to God unless he is convicted and drawn by the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 16 and verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, which worshiped God, heard us. And then the writer said, whose heart the Lord opened. It was the Lord that opened the heart of Lydia. It was not her own mental ascent. It was not her own good works that opened her heart toward God, but it was the drawing of the Spirit of God. I've heard some say, you know, in church service, how that they, they explain their conversion to Christ. Heard one man explain it like this. I prayed and I felt good and I just decided I got saved. And I started claiming it from that day forward. The problem with that is that's not biblical salvation. No. That's not salvation at all. We don't just decide that God saved us. Whose salvation is this? Whose grace is this? Whose faith is this? It all comes from God and not of man. We don't just decide that God saved me. God draws our heart. He convicts us, and we feel the condemnation and the guilt of our sin, and we run to God in repentance that he even grants us to be able to do, and he imparts unto us faith to believe the gospel. This is a work of God. John 16 in verse 7, the Bible said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he, the Comforter, the Spirit of God, when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me. 
of righteousness because I go unto my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Conviction is a divine work of the Spirit of God and not of man. All of this, I believe, sets the tone for man's escape from sin. Have you seen how it's progressed already? God has revealed himself to mankind. By God's revelation to man, condemnation comes upon his heart. Through his condemnation, he is being convicted of his sin. As man is feeling this condemnation and this conviction, it's leading us to what I call man's escape route from sin. Man's escape from sin can only come through God. He's lost. He's undone in his sin. Man has lived in a depraved state since his existence. Once the Spirit begins illuminating man, we should understand this to be God sending man his escape route out of bondage. God offers himself to man in many various ways. But once man finally begins to realize that he is truly lost and undone, he will look outside himself for the help that he needs. Man, as long as he looks in himself and looks to others for help, will never find this salvation of which we speak. Lost man is without hope and without God in this world, according to Ephesians chapter 2. It is imperative that man recognizes that he needs someone or something beyond himself to rescue him from self-destruction. All the while, man has an enemy that's trying to blind his eyes from the truth, lest he believe the truth and be set free. Let me read you a scripture that verifies this. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6. But if a gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves. See, salvation is not of us. It's not of ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This right here is a perfect picture of salvation. God wants you to know that he will set you free. The devil is the one who is the God of this world, who is blinding the eyes of man. He doesn't want man to know the truth. He doesn't want man to be set free. God not only has the evacuation route ready, he has already sent a deliverer to bring us out. So this brings us to our next topic, our topic of repentance. I want to tell you that true repentance is a turning away. It's a turning away from sin. It's a turning away of self. It's a turning away of autonomy. It's a turning away from Satan. It's a turning away from other gods. It is a turning away from bondage. And guess what? It's a turning to as well. It's a turning to God. It's a turning to freedom. It's a turning to the truth. Repentance is the acceptance of the deliverance that God has offered mankind. True repentance comes through godly sorrow, which is what brings man to that place of repentance. In order to repent, man must acknowledge there's a better way. Man must acknowledge that God is true and that every man's a liar. Through repentance, man leaves his sin behind. By leaving his sin behind, he also leaves all of his guilt, all of his sorrow, all of his shame behind as well, because true repentance leads us to redemption. Repentance, by definition, is to feel contrition over some past action or intention. It means to heartily amend with abhorrence, not to just amend, 
but to amend with abhorrence. That is something that is done in the mind. It is not just a changing of the direction of, of the feet, but it's a changing in the mind. I believe it's the book of Romans that talks about that sin would become exceeding sinful. Concerning salvation, repentance is the turning from unbelief, as Brother Donnie just mentioned, but turning unto God. It's turning from our unbelief and turning to faith through the gospel message. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 18 said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Now, I feel like repentance is broken up into three different parts. I believe that there is a intellectual repentance, an emotional repentance, and a repentance of the will. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, the Bible teaches us that ministering in the synagogue, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, that repentance towards God and faith toward Jesus Christ. So it's not just a turning from, but it's a turning un. Two, much like the doctrine of sanctification, it's a turning from the world and a turning unto God. So in an intellectual repentance is found in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, when they heard the message of the gospel, they were pricked in their heart. They were not just changing the course of their bodies, they're changing their hearts and their minds and said unto Peter, And to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? This is the point of the gospel preacher, is that when the gospel is sent forth, there is a response. We we look too many times in our churches for a response to, to an altar, a response in worship, or a response in praise. We should be looking for that response of the heart and mind that matures into the form of a question from the people we're preaching to. They said, men and brethren, what do we do? Where do I go from here? I've heard the gospel. I've felt the condemnation. I feel conviction from God. Now, what do I do from here? Then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall, not might, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Where there is true repentance, where there's true conversion, the Spirit of God will soon follow that new birth. This is intellectual repentance. But then the Bible shows us in Psalm chapter 51 that there is an emotional repentance. David said, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Also, we see that there is a repentance of the will or a volitional repentance, if you will. Luke chapter 15 and verse 21, in speaking of the prodigal son, he said, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. That's a a changing of his will. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, the Bible said, whoso confesseth and forsaketh. It's not just mere confession, but there must be a forsaking as well. The Bible said that man shall have mercy. So now I feel like we need to understand what repentance is not. Amen. Many, many in our church world today, when dealing with this topic of repentance, say that you preach a works-based salvation if you even mention the word repentance. How foolish can that possibly be? 
No man can be a child of God without repentance. But there's three things I want to point out concerning what repentance is not. First, repentance is not simply knowing you're a sinner. That doesn't mean you've repented. For we can find Balaam, Pharaoh, Saul, Judas. All of these men had something in common. These three words left all of their mouths. I have sinned. But search the scriptures. See if you can find a place of true repentance and turning towards God from these men. They all acknowledged their sinfulness. They all acknowledged they were sinners, but we find no genuine repentance. So repentance is not simply acknowledging your sin. Secondly, repentance is not simple confession of sin. Thirdly, repentance and salvation are not the same thing. For the Bible said, repent ye and believe. It's not enough just to repent, but you must repent and believe. Acts chapter 26 and verse 20 makes mention of repentance and turning towards God. Repentance is a must, but repentance is not salvation. There must be a turning from the sin, but a turning unto God in faith. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I believe that if you get confused on what it means to get saved, you can't really appreciate what it means to be saved. Now, there's a lot of questions that could be asked concerning this topic, and I'm sure some of you are wondering, even by how clearly we feel like we have taught this today, there may be a few questions that have arisen in your mind. Can a man get saved without feeling condemnation? No, and that goes back to what Brother Chris was talking about just a little bit ago. There's a process that God goes through that man must feel within him that leads him to true repentance. And if he never feels condemned, he probably never will truly repent either. Well, if he doesn't feel condemned, why would he repent? And the reason you would turn is because you recognize the path that you're on is taking you away from God rather than towards God. All right. Can a man be saved without ever being convicted? No, because the conviction he feels is over his sin. And if he's never been convicted that his sin is wrong, he will never change his ways regardless. So no, he cannot be saved without that feeling of conviction. Amen. Is it true repentance if a person continues in sin? No. And and here's the thing. I'm not saying that if you prayed and you got saved and you're still struggling with something for a couple of days, weeks, and who the, the topics could vary. I mean, there's certain things that God deals with each man individually on. There's some things that are just givens. Yes, you accept Jesus as Lord. You recognize he's the savior of your life. He's the Lord now of your life. You begin recognizing these things. Every person's salvation experience is slightly different. There's some things that you may struggle with, but if you've never truly repented, you, you're not saved. And so the point of it is, is if you are not sorry for the sins that God is saving you from, then it wasn't true repentance to start with. I think you talk about repentance, you know, you repent over stealing. You, you should never steal again. You know, you repent over adultery. You should never commit adultery again. But then there are some things that such as human nature, you repent all you want. That's not going away. You're still a person. You're still a human. You're still fallen. Therefore, there's always going to be temptations. There's always going to be weaknesses. You know, we recognize our weaknesses and we, as out of a heart that is tender towards God, we repent of that many times a day. 
Lord, forgive me for my doubt. Forgive me for my weakness. Repenting over those things does not change the fact that you're still a human being. Amen. So there are sins that you repent of that you never go back to, but then there are things you feel guilty of that you can't get away from. I've repented many times over my lack of faith and believing God at times, not that I don't believe I'm saved, but that God's not going to change my situation. As a young Christian, I wondered, will this ever get any better? And I had doubt. If I continued in my doubt and unbelief, it would have wrecked my faith. But because God strengthens us in our faith, we have to repent over those things. But it doesn't mean you're not saved if you begin to have a problem. Like if you ask God, please help me to be more merciful. Forgive me for my lack of mercy. That doesn't mean that you're not saved. When I got saved that morning, May the 19th, 1991, I didn't repent over my lack of mercy. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I just don't have the love that I need. Well, no, I wasn't saved. I, could, I couldn't have the love that I needed. So I wasn't repenting over those things. I was repenting over, Lord, I'm a wretch. I'm miserable. I can't help myself. I can't save myself. Would you come into my life? Fix me where I'm wrong. I'm sorry for my sin. That is a form of true repentance. And that's what we're talking about in soteriology. There's things that are part of our nature there's times that we must pray about our attitude. Can I say a one-time trip might fix it? It's possible. But it's also possible you'll struggle with that throughout the years. Okay, is that saying you're not saved? No, but there's things that each person will battle. And in God's salvation process, and I want you to notice, it is a process. He has not only saved you, he is saving you. And we're not truly saved until we endure to the end. That's what Matthew 24 and 13 says. Brothers, this was powerful today. Friends, if you have a Bible question that you'd like an answer to, drop us an email at dkministries1977 at yahoo.com. That's dkministries1977 at yahoo.com. If you have a comment about any of these special editions, just send in your thoughts, send in your questions, and you'll get an answer. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast today, sharing God's Word. But until next time, may God bless you all. Lord, I just want to do it right the first time. There might not be another chance for me. I want to lay down weights that beset me so I can keep my soul feeling free. I'll gladly bear the reproach, Lord, for the gospel's sake. Where I go, you've already been there, cause I'm walking in Jesus' name. Well, I'm walking in Jesus' name, I'm going where he bid to go. I'm dressing and talking like he wants me to, he's a keeper of my soul. I have learned to lean on Jesus and cast on him my ever concern. I'm looking for a home.